Hallelujah. You may be seated for a moment. We're so delighted to have each of you here with us on this another beautiful day the Lord has granted to us. Amen. I want to extend my congratulations on behalf of Sister Magine and I. Congratulations to Daniel and Michelle. And uh, looking forward to that great occasion. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. What a privilege it is to be in the presence of the Lord. I thoroughly enjoyed this morning's adult Bible class. What a rich and rewarding Bible lesson that was. And uh, I could just go home now and been blessed. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I want to, as, as you are aware of, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I, I don't know who decided that and who came up with that, but that's okay. And um, I do want to make a couple comments in regards to that. And Justin, before we get into the word of the Lord this morning, I noticed a piece in the bulletin and I thought very intriguing. It says, pastors who give their congregation only what they want are seldom able to lead them to new heights. If Moses had listened to the congregation and appeased them, the people of Israel would have returned to Egypt in bondage. A visionary pastor is one who is able to shake and rattle people for the cause of Christ. I have noticed something in our society that concerns me, and that is the ability of, of, of humankind in our society to denigrate the office of those who are in leadership and to speak highly disrespectful and disregard to the magnitude of the office. I hear things, just for an example, spoke of, spoken regarding our president that are nothing, nothing less than degrading the office for which he holds. You can disagree with the man all you want. You can be of a different political persuasion. But you do not have a right to dishonor the office. Amen. And I said that in relationship to the ministry. And in the relationship to being the pastor. And it's okay to disagree with me. It's okay to voice your disagreement with anything I might decide. But it's not okay to denigrate the office. It's alright to disagree with anything that I might any of my views in the scripture, you have that right. But we do not have the right to denigrate the office. We do not have the right scripturally to disrespect the office. Now, I'm not saying anyone is. I'm just throwing this out here as something that concerns me in our society. Because it's easy these days to hear and to speak things to denigrate an office for which we do not have the right to denigrate. Amen? And regardless of, of what you might think or regardless of your personal opinion... You may not like my personality, you may not like some of the things I say, you may not like some of the decisions I make, and that's okay, that's wonderful. We all have that choice. But let's be careful and not denigrate nor disrespect the office. Because I'm a mere man, but the office is ordained by Almighty God. Amen? Bishop and I are mere men, Brother David, we're all just mere men, but the office for which we hold have been ordained at the hand of Almighty God, and we do not have the right to denigrate them. Amen. Amen. Just a little food for thought. Now would you stand? <clears throat> John chapter 4, verses 10 through 14. I like what I feel in here this morning. I like the presence of the Lord that has just permeated this place. And I hope by the time I'm done here this morning, I will have, as I read in here, challenged you, shaken you up, or something along the way here, as we look into the word of the Lord 
this morning. Again, as I remind you that throughout the remainder of this month, we'll be preaching messages relating to the vision and what we are hoping for and anticipating here at High Point Church and what it's going to take to see that vision and that dream and that hope accomplished. And I hope bedded deep in the heart of every human in this, every, every individual in this building and those who might be listening via tape or via the Internet, that you understand it is our hope and our desire that we see a mighty influx of souls into this assembly, those whose lives will be transformed and changed by the ever-present power of Almighty God. Can you say amen? John chapter 4, verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Oh, if she only knew. And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. A fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for your manifold greatness and your goodness to us. Thank you for what we have experienced here already today. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you'll just anoint this morning, use this vessel and this instrument for the ministry of your word, and we'll give you the praise and thanks for it. It is in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. 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 What I'd like for you to do, and look at your neighbor and ask them this question, where do you get living water? Where do you get living water? Water's water. I've got water up here. Where do you get living water? And you may be seated. Let me preface this morning's lesson by pointing out some things to you. Jesus' sense of constraint and choice to travel through Samaria, an area, as you know, was shunned by the Jews, demonstrates great intentionality in reaching out with a reconciling love. Jesus reaches out with a divine love and a human sensitivity to a woman who was of a different race and whose morals were questionable. Amen. I would also add, this is consistent with Jesus' frequent reachings, if you will, breaking the mold of the traditionally religious, he became a friend of tax collectors and the generally sinful who were not only loathed by the supposedly righteous, but were thought to be unworthy of attention. The religious leaders of that day thought that these folks were just not even worthy of their time and their attention. Jesus gave time and energy to relationships. Everybody go like this. 
which I will must I will admit that sometimes it meant experiencing pain and loss. Anytime you invest in relationships, there will be times you will experience pain and loss. Amen. There's times that those that you had hopes in and great aspirations of them uh, being whatever will dash your hopes and expectations. Amen. So there comes that expense of pain and loss. But in, in the verses just prior to those I read just moments ago, Jesus provides yet a, another life quality for us to emulate. He calls us to enter intentionally and sensitively into the experiences of other brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they are different from us culturally, ethnically, and denominationally. He wants us involved. He's not looking for us to go, just to, to uh, cocoon ourselves in our own little world and have ourselves withdrawn from those around us, but He is looking for that interaction where we can influence them. That's what Jesus done. He became friends with those who were friendless and He became close to those who were the reject of society, if you will, of that day. Those who, the religious, from a religious perspective that is, those who really wanted nothing to do with them, Jesus befriended them. Remember, He said, those that are whole need not a physician. He said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but I come to call the sinner to repentance. Can you say Amen. Let's talk about the power of the promise. As recorded in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, just prior to his ascension, called all of his followers together in order to give them some last-minute instructions before his departure. He was getting ready to ascend up into the clouds of glory. And before he did, he wanted to get everybody together, those who were his followers, and give them some final instructions, some last-minute Things to do and to know. Amen? He first tells them, Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. He says in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, You shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he says, here's one thing. First and foremost, you need to go to Jerusalem and you wait. Until you have received the promise, you wait there. Then I want you to notice something in the very next passage that I'd really not paid much attention to previously as I read. And I've read it probably millions of times over the years. And, uh, and But if I'm understanding verse 6 correctly, it appears that not only did he have them gathered together there, but Jesus calls his inner circle into a huddle. He brings them together. Because I want you to notice this. It appears that Jesus called his inner circles in close together, much like a, much like a huddle, like coach or sports team would call their team in just prior to the game and, you know, for some final words of encouragement because it says there that, uh, when they had come together, they asked him saying, now they would all, they were all grouped together to start with. They had come and congregated, but now we see another gathering which implies to me that he had this inner circle of believers he had brought together in a huddle, and they asked him a question. As someone might ask the coach, uh, you know, uh, before we get into this thing, we're getting ready to launch into one of the biggest adventures known to humanity. And, and I suppose it might have been Peter. I don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us, but it's quite possible it was Peter that asked the question. In verse 6, he said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? 
in the forefront of their thinking was this idea and this premise that at this particular time, and they know that it's, they knew that it's some time and in some place, and it will happen, the kingdom of Israel will be restored. Oh, like this. The kingdom of Israel will be restored at some point in time in history. You can go to the bank with it. Amen? So they're expecting this to happen then. I mean, they're, they're expecting this to happen immediately. And Jesus' response to them was very short and to the point when he said in verse number 7, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Very direct point. He said, it just don't, don't even concern yourself with that. It's basically none of your business. You just concern yourself with going to Jerusalem and waiting for the promise of the Father because you've got some things to do. Amen. However, Jesus did not end the conversation there. He said, there's one more thing I want to inject as they're all huddled together and they're in this group together and he proceeded to tell them what was going to take place at Jerusalem and what it would mean for them. Remember, this is a group of folks that had been following Jesus now for a number of years. They had listened to him teach and proclaim the gospel. They had been part of the miracles and been part of the ministry and they had seen all that he had done and there was no question in their mind that Jesus was the Messiah. Peter confessed that way back in the 16th chapter of the book of Matthew when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter, there was no question in Peter's mind, and I suppose by this point in time in their, uh, in their association with Jesus, there was no question in the mind of all of those disciples that were remaining that he was in fact the Messiah. <clears throat> but he says to them, but ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Hallelujah. But ye shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now let me share with you a little food for thought before we get on into this idea here for just a moment. It's important to note this Ascension Day promise of Jesus to this assembled group of believers anticipates the day of Pentecost which was to come and describes the coming of Pentecost as being baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go like this. But I want you to understand that this is not the same experience that is described in John chapter 20 and verse 22 where Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the experience of John 20 and 22 took place before the ascension, or both before the ascension, and was related to the work of the Holy Spirit in the new birth as was promised in John chapter 3 verses 3 through 5. But here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 5, it is, it is the empowerment for ministry that was promised in Luke 24 and 49. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I sum it up like this? There is a power that we need in ministry that goes above and beyond the new birth. There is a power that we need to be a witness that goes above and beyond us saying, I am saved. 
Amen? So understand that. You see, the focus here is on the mission of the believers. One that cannot be accomplished without the supernatural Holy Spirit baptism. Amen. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that all of us here today, if I were to poll this congregation, want to be an effective witness in today's society. We want to be effective in our outreach and in our, in our desire to see those around us saved. But we cannot do it without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Jesus' words about the spreading witness of the gospel through the Spirit-filled disciples that we see in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 could only be fulfilled with the supernatural power as a result of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. Amen. This very thought, stay with me now as we follow this through, this very thought was brought to fruition as is recorded in Acts chapter 2 verses 4 through 11 where we see that the baptism of the Holy Spirit falling and giving the disciples the ability to witness to the multitudes in their respective languages which had not been learned prior to this experience. Hallelujah. Give you a minute to let that soak in. Again, in Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 11, it's here we see the baptism of the Holy Spirit falling and giving the disciples the ability to witness to the multitudes in their respective languages which had not been learned prior to this experience. Hallelujah. They heard them speak in the tongue and language of the Medes and the Persians and the uh, the Egyptians and on and on the list goes if you want to take the time to go read there. In fact, the Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse 11, says we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. They had just been given the power to become witnesses. And we cannot have, we cannot be an effective witness without the power to do so. Amen. The songwriter John W. Peterson penned these words to a song many years ago that says, I thirsted in the barren land of sin and shame, and nothing satisfying there I found. But to the blessed cross of Christ one day I came, where springs of living water did abound. The Course says, Drinking at the springs of living water, happy now am I, my soul they satisfy. Drinking at the springs of living water, O oh, wonderful and bountiful supply. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If there is anything that I have come to know and learn through my many years of service and experience in the ministry, and Sister Doris sent an email this past week wanting wanting my wife to put together a bio of the years of involvement in the ministry. My, what an earth-shattering experience that was for me to think back where I started and where we've been and how I owe my wife a, 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 an enormous apology for where all I have drugged her and, 
And everywhere we have been and all that was involved in ministry, when you get looking back in retrospect, you learn so much that had kind of just drifted away in your memory. And But uh, I, I was, you know, I'd come, I've come to learn that through my many years of service and experience in ministry, that is that we will never accomplish what God has called us to do without the supernatural presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Now please understand when I say that, I'm not talking about a lot of hype and emotionalism. And, and, and I understand the Holy Spirit will, will, will make you emotional. It will, it will change you. It will transform you. It will, you know, it will do all of those things. And I understand that. But it's not just, uh, uh, we're not talking about just the, uh, a lot of, uh, uh, the word I want to use here escapes my mind. A lot of activity, a lot of a lot of show, and a lot of all of that. A demonstrative is what I'm looking for. Demonstrative stuff that is often associated with the power and movement of the Holy Spirit, and often associated wrongfully. Just because we get emotional and we're all hyped up and we do a lot of demonstrative things does not represent the power of the Holy Spirit does not necessarily represent the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's not what I'm talking about, in case you might be thinking that's where I'm going. You see, we must drink from a well, or from the well of salvation. And how do you, you know, and when I have members of the body of Christ coming to me and expressing to me their ideas and illustrating things they have in mind for the area of their involvement in ministry within the church, and I see the enthusiasm and the, the desire and the hunger in them. You see, I know, I know that they've been drinking. They've been somewhere at the wells of living water because there's that begin to bubble forth that Jesus told her it will be a well of water springing up into everlasting life. <clears throat> I know that the Holy Spirit has implanted a thirst for the movement and success of the things of God. In fact, the psalmist said it this way, as the deer pants or longs for the water brooks, so pants or so longs for my, my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before Him, before we can speak a language of witness to the world that they will understand, we must have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We must have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit before we can speak a language that the world will hear and know and understand. There's a different language out there. Amen. Religious talk won't get the job done, I hate to say. It just won't do it. Quoting a lot of Bible scriptures generally won't get the job done. But allowing the presence and power of Jesus Christ to emanate from us will. And it will speak volumes. They heard them speak the wonderful works of God in a language that they could understand. <clears throat> I feel incumbent on me to give you an illustration of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. From a biblical perspective, and to see an illustration of the Holy Spirit's transforming power, we need look no further than the beloved Apostle Peter. You can't help but notice that prior to Pentecost and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Peter denied Christ three times before the changing of the guard, as Jesus predicted. Peter had walked with him, along with the rest of the disciples. They had lived with him. They had fellowship with Him. They had broke bread together. They were there at the Last Supper 
when Jesus gave them some instructions and they knew what it was, they, they understood and he, he promised them another comforter and it wasn't like they were ignorant of what was transpiring and what was taking place. Jesus used every means possible to him to get them to understand. Peter told Jesus one time, he said, why can't I go where you're going? I'll go with you to your death. You tell me where you're going, I'll follow you right to the end. And Jesus said, Peter, you don't understand. Before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. Men that knew and seen the power and majesty of this Messiah. They, they were there on the mountain of transfiguration. But there had not been that transformation yet. All of the experience that they had with Jesus and all of the personal knowledge they had of them did not give them the power to be witnesses. They were petrified in their shoes. I would have been too. Don't be too harsh. It was life or death. It was a serious scene. And if you even acted like you was going to admit to the fact that you knew Jesus and you was part of His group, you were in big trouble. Amen. There's no telling what they would have done to you in that thronging mob of people that night. So, just as Jesus predicted, not only did He deny knowing Christ, He along with the others ran away and hid for fear that they might be noticed and might be identified. There was one gal that tried to point Peter out and kept saying, you know, you're one of, your speech betrays you. You, you. you speak like a Galilean. They ran away and hid. However, on the day of Pentecost, after the falling of the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, It was Peter along with the other apostles who stood, listen to me now, who stood among the many of the same people and Jewish leaders who were present at the crucifixion and declared. Peter did in Acts 2 and 14, the Bible says, "Men and Peter said, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Now instead of denying Christ, now instead of running and hiding because of the transforming power and the power to become a witness, Peter and those would stand up and declare, let me tell you something. Amen. Hallelujah. In fact, Peter now in his boldness and and the power that the Holy Spirit gave to him, he said, I want you to understand something. This is that which is spoken of by the prophet Joel in the last days. Saith God, I will prop my spirit upon all flesh. Went on to quote all of those scriptures and said in verse 21, And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he tells them, and notice this, he tells them about this Jesus of Nazareth. Hear these words, he said, a man attested to God by miracles, wonders, and signs, and so forth. He said, whom God, he said, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. This don't sound like a man to me that's scared of the crowd. Doesn't sound to me like a man that's fearful of his life any longer and afraid that he might be identified. 
He said, I'm telling you right now, this man that you put to death was a man that was approved and attested by God, and you crucified him unlawfully. He said, whom God has raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. What a transforming power that the Holy Spirit can have in our life. What a transformation. What a change. Now through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, Peter and the others have become mighty witnesses. Hallelujah. Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well, Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I say this to you today because we have before us an awesome challenge and an awesome responsibility and an awesome privilege. If we will allow ourselves to become infiltrated and, and possessed and, and overwhelmed by the power of His Holy Spirit, we will become the mighty witnesses that He has called us to be in this generation. Amen. I believe it with every fiber of my being. It is not by might nor by strength, but it is by His Spirit. Amen. My preaching in and of itself will not get the job done. Our, our worship services and our praise service in and of themselves will not get the job done. But what will get the job done is when we, through the power and might of the Holy Spirit, become those witnesses that can reach the world. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. I interact with and talk with and work with countless number of individuals throughout the course of any week as a project manager. I meet them from all walks of life. Oftentimes I have the privilege to sit and converse with them in moments and I hear things and stories and issues and situations about their lives and and what's going on with them. And I'm, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I say this because I'm telling you, there's a people out there that's looking for something that will change who they are, what they are, and where they are. Amen. There's a people out there that recognizes that society's going down a slippery slope and they're just in big trouble. There's a people out there that knows they've tried every kind of thing imaginable to pull themselves up and to rid themselves of a lot of things, only knowing that somewhere and somehow there's something that will change them. The songwriter continued, How sweet the living water from the hills of God. It makes me glad and happy all the way. Now glory, grace, and blessing mark the path I have trod. I am shouting hallelujah. Every day. You see, many hundreds of years prior to the day of Pentecost and the promise of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Isaiah declared on behalf of Almighty God in Isaiah 12 and 3, he said this, looking down through time under the direction of the Holy Spirit, he said, therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. It was no accident. 
that Isaiah would pen these powerful and profound words. God trying to encourage a people who had gone the wrong direction. As a nation, there were those who were still living godly in Israel in these days. There was those few, that handful that were hanging on to what they knew was right. And God wanted to encourage them. You just keep hanging on because there's coming a day that with joy you'll draw water from the wells of salvation. And I'm telling you, we can draw water with joy. We can draw water from the wells of salvation. I must ask. I must ask. Is your relationship and experience with Jesus Christ such that you can say, spiritually speaking, there is a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life? Listen to me now. Jesus told that woman, he said, but the water that I shall give give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. When I read that, I can't help but to think of When I was a teenager at home on the farm, we had on our farm a place we had a natural spring. Oh, the water, I could go on for hours describing the sweetness and the purity and the the, the refreshingness of that water that we would go over there and we would put in these stainless steel milk containers, just use that for drinking water. We had water in our house, but we didn't drink that. We drank the water from the natural spring. I don't care how dry it got. I don't care how much we were in a drought. That spring would never go dry. The rivers would dry up. The creeks that we call them streams, whatever, that run down through the farm where we live would dry up. And there would be nothing but rock beds. But you could always go around the corner and there would be that spring. It would always be bubbling with water. Hallelujah. Many hundreds of years prior to the day of Pentecost, he said, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. So I ask you, is your relationship and your experience with Jesus Christ such that you can say, spiritually speaking, there is a fountain of water, spiritually now, there is a spiritual fountain springing up into everlasting life. you can't say that this morning, I strongly suggest that it gets corrected. Where do you get living water? The only way to receive this power to which I speak is through obedience to the Word of God Everybody say amen. Amen. Prayer. Say amen. Amen. And worship. Say amen. And an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We cannot continue to serve him in passing or on occasional status and ever expect to have that power reigning within us. To be a mighty witness. Amen. It requires a complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ. 
I said it requires a complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ and his desire for you and I. He will not settle for anything less. We will not receive the power without anything less. When those disciples had reached that point on the day of Pentecost, they had given everything they had, everything they would ever be, and everything they were going to be, they laid at the foot of an old rugged cross and said, Lord Jesus, I am yours and you are mine. Here's my life. Use it for whatever way and any way you want to. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place, in one mind, and in one accord. And the power fell. So much so it gave them the ability, these Galilean fishermen, this uneducated group of men and women who really had not attended the, school, the, the, the universities of that day, gave them the ability to speak languages they had never, ever learned. Hallelujah. Not only is it important for our salvation, but it's important to others. I said it's important to others. You see, someone needs what you've got. Someone, I don't know, you may be sitting across the room today, but someone out there needs what you've got. I run across people every day and every week that need what I've got. Someone very close to you today perhaps needs what you've got. Someone very close to you today, again, needs what you've got. They may not know it. They may not even want it right now. But they need it nonetheless. Hallelujah. And what is that they need, you ask? They need Jesus Christ and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit to transform their life. The Apostle John said, we saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our hands. And now we testify to you that he is the one. However... Before others will be attracted to Jesus Christ, they must first see Him working in our life. I said they must see Jesus Christ working in our life. In order for them to be attracted to what I have, they're going to need to see Him in me. After all, if the shoes you're wearing don't look very comfortable. And you can't hardly walk in them. Why would anyone else want to put them on?
I've, I've got to be real careful here. I'm trying to keep them taken off on a tirade. Why would they want to put on shoes that just make you, oh, cringe your face and your limp? Just. After his life-changing encounter on the road to Damascus, God, God told Saul of Tarsus, I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. Tell the world about this experience. I'll read that from the Living Bible in case you're looking going, where did that come from? He said, tell the world about this experience. Tell them, have it on the road to Damascus. You with letter in hand to persecute and to destroy the church, you heard from Almighty God Himself. You'll get their attention, Paul. That some will think you're weird. Some will think you've lost your mind. Some might even want a baker at you. But you tell them nonetheless. Tell them about that beacon of light that shined down on you and you heard that voice, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Tell them about the transformation that it has made in your life. And instead of destroying the church, now you become a minister of the gospel and an apostle to the Gentiles. Tell them about it, Paul. Tell them about it. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. Please understand this. Every experience that you have had with God has one purpose. And that is to make you his servant and his witness. We oftentimes look at our experiences and the things that we've gone through and look at them as some kind of a, an unfortunate thing that has happened to us. But no, 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 no. Every, listen to me now, every experience that you have had with God has one purpose and that is to make you his servant and his witness. That's so you can tell that one beside you, hey, he brought me through. He can bring you through. He healed me. He can heal you. He delivered me from all of these things. He can deliver you from all of these. Everything is for a purpose and for a reason. So you can tell them, look, He done it for me. He will do it for you. He delivered. That's our assignment. To be a witness. If you think the release and the falling of the Holy Ghost is just to make you happy and feel good and jump up and down, hoop and holler, and do dads run up and down your spine and mess your hair up and all that, you, you're so far off. It was given so we could be a witness. Because we can't be an effective witness without it. Amen? I'm about done. Just in case you... Let me tell you this, and if we're serious about it, if we're serious about being a servant, we need to guard our tongues. I talked about this Wednesday night in Bible study. If you weren't here, you ought to get the tape and listen to it. Taming the beast in your body. We need to be careful. We'll never win people of Jesus Christ if all they hear coming out of our mouth is what's wrong with the church. I'm, I'm trying hard, folks. I really am. If all they hear is how wrong it is and how bad it is, that preacher, he just gets, oh, 
he is so arrogant and sarcastic. Yeah, Brother David, he teaches, he just thinks he's hot stuff. No, he, he don't. When, when, people, when people hear those kind of comments out of those who claim we've got it, you turn them off. They'll turn you off in a minute. If all they hear about what's wrong with the music, it's too loud. It's too soft. I don't like the songs. It's too much rock and roll. I don't like the pre- preacher. He... And you tell them you know Jesus Christ? Hmm. They'll never, you'll, you'll never win them if all they hear is what's wrong with the church, what's wrong with the pastor, what's wrong with the preachers, and what's wrong with Christians as a whole. They'll never win them. You see, the church is a hospital where Jesus, the great physician, makes wounded people whole. And while some in the church are doing well, there's others that are in critical care. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ properly presented and understood, should draw people to Him, not drive them away. If you forget everything else I've said this morning, don't forget this. The gospel of Jesus Christ, properly presented and understood, should draw people to Him, not drive them away. So what's your job? We all have a job as it relates to the kingdom. I said we all have a job as it relates to the kingdom. I see I'm going to have trouble getting everybody to agree with this. It may be to that relative. It may be to the neighbor. It may be to someone who lives down the street. It may be the person that lives back across the alley from your house. It may be the person that you work alongside as the musicians make their way forward. It may be someone you've never met as yet. You have a job to do. And what's your job? To be His servant and His witness. To introduce others to Jesus Christ. The one who you have seen with your own eyes. Oh, preacher, I've never seen Him. Oh, you've seen Him in more ways than you can ever imagine. You've touched Him in more ways than you can ever imagine. And He has touched you in more ways than you can even comprehend. Oh yes, to be His servant and His witness, to introduce others to Jesus Christ, the one who you have seen with your own eyes and touched with your hands. And He will do the rest. The songwriter concluded... Oh, sinner, won't you come to Calvary? A fountain there is flowing deep and wide. The Savior now invites you to the water free, where thirsty spirits can be saved.